Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Search for Tomorrow podcast. I feel like I say this every time, but I'm extremely excited about my guests today. And I think that's because I keep bringing on pretty great guests. And some of them you may know, some of them you may not know. If you frequent Magic Online, you'll know them as X-File. Or if you maybe are in the GTA area, you'll know them as Felix Slew. But regardless, our guest for this week is Felix Slew. And I'm so happy to have you, Felix. Hey, Andy, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. Uh, just another good day. Um, like some new magic stuff's been happening. Spoiler season started. And it, if maybe because there hasn't been spoilers for a bit, it's like feeling kind of nice to see some spoilers. Yeah, yeah. It's been like four and a half months or something. Something like that. Since the last set. It feels like the old days. We only get like the four sets a year. Not many like supplemental products, which means you actually had a break. Yeah, you get so like boiled, bogged down by all of the spoilers that it it is awesome to finally have a bit of a break and then some spoilers and be able to be really excited about it, like like normal sort of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so the point of the podcast, Felix, is to kind of introduce you to Canadian Magic players, and there might be some that know who you are, and there's going to be some who don't, and. Basically, why don't we start with, why don't you tell me about how you started with Magic? What got you into Magic, and how did you make the break into becoming a competitive player, or was it always that way? Yeah, so I started playing Magic um, summer before sixth grade, summer camp. Uh, yeah, some of the counselors and some of the other kids had some cards. I was like, man, this game looks really fun. I want to get into it, and um, started playing and kind of still from there. Um, and I played super casually for about a year. Um, and then, so this was in like 2011 when I started, um, so M12 was the newest set, I think. And then like a year later, I started, um, getting into like watching the pro tours and reading articles and stuff like that. And I was 12 years old and like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely an advocate for like teenagers can be good at magic. Like I had a GP job as a teenager and a lot of other people I know had like good results as teenagers, but like at 12, I was maybe a little young to be actually succeeding in any sort of tournament. Um, so probably like four years away from finding my first league. So uh, definitely took a little bit to actually get into like the competitive scene in terms of actually feeling like I had a shot at, you know, top eating a tournament or winning a tournament going in. Um, and yeah, so I played in middle school, I, uh, took a break for a couple of years and then got back into it. I was like 16 and that was kind of when I started getting like more into, um, the competitive scene a little bit. I was also really into just like building decks, brewing decks, um, did that a lot online. And then I, that was kind of like how I first made an name for myself in the competitive scene was not so much like as a competitive player, but more just like competitive players liked the things I was doing just as like a way to pass the time. Um, and eventually I was like, I don't know if this is like, I don't, I didn't really feel like I had like points that, points that I could reach where I felt like I was progressing. Like I didn't feel like, it, it was a good creative outlet, but I didn't feel like there was like much that I was accomplishing. 
and when I did accomplish something, it was like, oh, well, you know, I was like making bad decisions because they were more fun for me, which was like a fun experience to some extent, but also sort of made me feel like, you know, if, I, I think like when you're playing Magic at a really high level, especially when you're learning to play Magic at a really high level, you have to be super into like making good decisions because you can like, you can enjoy winning, but that's only going to take you so far. Like you have to just get into like figuring out what decisions you're making right, what decisions you're making wrong and really enjoying that process. And I think that's sort of why like a lot of competitive players uh, really stress like, oh, well, this person is like playing a bad deck. It's not that there's anything like inherently wrong with playing a bad deck because it makes you happy. It's that like, I think some people, and this is a place where I've been in the past, kind of play bad decks because they either think it doesn't matter that much or they just like don't understand what goes into playing something good. Um, like what, uh, like just having your deck function, metagame positioning and the actual impacts that all those things have, like they overestimate them or they underestimate them. Um, I'm starting to feel like I sound a little bit like a televangelist, but yeah, so I was pretty in, like, I got pretty into the competitive scene, just like really trying to compete, maybe like 2020-ish early, um, and sort of put down the like, kind of brewing my own decks a little bit. Um, and then, uh, kind of took breaks, went on and off. Um, and then December of last year, I was, I was 21 at the time. I qualified for the Neon Dynasty Championship. Um, and, if, and I went nine, six there. Uh, and then a few minutes, two months later, I qualified for the Independent Championship, uh, started on day one, uh, and that's pretty much where I'm at now. Um, yeah, just trying to figure out like um, get a, how to get a more solid base with theory stuff and get back on the pro tour. Um, hopefully, qualify for my third straight one in the next year. Yeah. So, did you like start at the local game store? Did you play like F and M's and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. That was like where I that was where I played most of my magic. What brought you to Magic Online? Um, so I I moved to Paris when I was seventeen, like uh, right before my senior year of high school. Uh, my dad, my dad's job took us there, and I like moving right before my senior year was not maybe not the most fun thing I've ever done. Um, it was pretty hard to make friends, and because every, everyone's kind of at that point like kind of done with high school, you know, you're like starting to get senioritis a little bit and there's this new kid coming in. On top of that, like a third of the kids in my class barely, uh, barely even like, I mean, they spoke fluent English, but they like mostly just spoke French to each other. They didn't really hang out with the English speaking kids very much. So that like cut down on the number of potential friends I could have even further. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really just a lot of like when I wasn't like at volleyball practice or occasionally like 
seeing a friend or whatever, just kind of sitting in my room. And um, I started playing Magic Online there, um, kind of enjoyed it. And um, yeah, it, it took a while to get like more into the super competitive aspect of it. But um, once I, even once I moved like back to the US for a little bit, um, I stuck with playing Magic Online, just felt like I, um, I'm not a very social person in general. I kind of like, I mean, my idea of a fun night is like maybe a couple of friends. So if you have a couple of friends come over, we just talk about sports for a few hours. And so going to like an LGS or whatever was, I definitely went more for the magic than for like the social aspect of it. Um, which I, I think it isn't necessarily that's not necessarily true for a lot of people who like grew up going to local stores. Um, and so Magic Online was like really great for me. Uh, I mean, growing up, like I was a kid, um, my parents weren't really going to give me money for it. I didn't know like how to get good enough to afford to keep grinding. Um, and I also like didn't really like see necessarily how to kind of maximize the money aspect, but also the fun aspect of it. Um, if that makes sense, like, I wasn't, I was just like playing, I don't know, mono blue flyers or whatever in the two man queues and not really like, um, I think when Magic Online became fun for me was, was when I became, I started like pushing myself to play against to play in the events good players were in. Um, but yeah, like now, the, the challenges and stuff like that, or the, the preliminaries and so on? Yeah, yeah. Like, and that was really what drew me in, was just the opportunity to like play against amazing players, because I think that you would improve so much faster if your level of competition goes up. It's just like, when, like when I, when I stopped, when like, when the new Spanish championship happened and the like four pretty close to uninterrupted months of testing that I've been doing stopped, I felt like I had like a weekend or two where I was felt, I felt like I was playing really well. And then I felt like my level of play fell off a little bit just because like these habits that I've been building because my opponent was almost always going to make a really good play. They weren't being like exercise because you, know, you, you just can't find like, PT level opponents consistently in the magical mind teams. There just aren't that many, like there aren't that many players at that level in the world. And yeah, and pe people are, always or often play to their competition, especially you're very talented. You're very good at magic. I think when you are just playing against people, you don't know, it's so easy to just autopilot and not really think through all of the lines. And I'm super guilty of that myself. And it's one of the, hardest things that I've had to try and get back from when I quit for a year is just trying to turn get myself to turn off autopilot and actually think about the games because sometimes you'll make a play and it takes you all of two seconds to realize that that was a mistake or you finally start thinking about it because you've made your play past the turn so you're just not doing anything anymore and you start thinking about all the things your opponent could have and you're like oh I definitely could have played that entire turn better if they had this card 
or if they don't have this card, I killed them in two turns if I did this way. And I don't think they have that card because of what happened a turn earlier. And it's that kind of stuff that it's really easy to just mess up. But when you're playing with the high-level players, and that's why I advocate for Magic Online, for anyone who's trying to take Magic competitively seriously, I think Magic Online is just the best possible resource for your time and investment. And for me, like, I think the most important Magic achievement for me was like when people finally like respected Andy Awkward on Moto or something like that. And I think, I don't know, do you have a f- similar feelings like the getting validated? People like to get validated. And I think X-File people know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I like when I, the thing that made me really notice that was when I switched to like an alt account, which I'll do occasionally if I'm testing for something, um, like during testing for new fans, I played a couple challenges on an alt account, um, but I get way more stalled in chat. So like, uh, that's, that's the thing that's been kind of funny to me, especially like, especially playing in leagues. Like, I feel like if people have never seen my username before, they're way more likely to like complain to me about how lucky I am or how badly I played. Yeah. That's an unfortunate reality of moto players and playing against like a blank face. You, you don't see who your opponent is. And unfortunately yeah, yeah. people just take that on the internet to, as a card to just be an asshole. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I don't think it's like a major thing against moto as a game. I like the other, the other game I play a lot of League of legends. So that's like a whole nother level of chat, just being horrible and being offensive um but yeah i mean i usually honestly i usually just play with chat turned off because like i don't care about your complaining i like i'm here to play magic i'm not here to listen to you whine and unless i'm getting something out of it like i think it's funny and i don't usually think it's particularly funny i'm just off it so yeah i all like open all like open chat to say hi to friends but that's pretty much the only time they use it yeah, closing chat is a is a super powerful strategy that not enough people employ, and especially the moto salters out there. If you know you're a moto salter, just turn the tap chat off. Nobody wants to hear about it. Making someone else's experience worse so you can feel a little bit better by salting off is sad and not okay. Don't do that. Yeah, and I definitely like. I, yeah, I definitely think that like it is, it is it is healthy to like. If you're feeling some type of way about someone, get it out somehow. And like, if you, if that, if that somehow sometimes has to be like telling it directly to that person, so be it. Maybe don't try to do that so much. But at the yeah, at the, at the same time, like, it's just general. I mean, I think it's just generally a bad approach to the game, um, to the extent that like, if you actually understand how the game is like how the game works and you you have like a solid base of reasoning for why you got got unlucky then like i understand why you're complaining but if someone like makes a horrible game losing play and then is like wow you drew three of that one card then it's like come on think about your own plays like focus on yourself we're going to talk about me yeah, that's one thing I stress a lot to players in my local area when I do go to the LGS or when I do play the local RCQs 
is to just try and get them to focus on their own stuff. Like think about what you could be doing better. And every time you get unlucky by drawing too many lands or by drawing the wrong mixture, these are things you can affect. And sometimes you're going to lose and you're going to have nothing you can do about it. But those are the times to me where those just don't matter. It's like I did everything I could. There's nothing I could have done. It happens. I'm going to be on the other end of it at some point. And you just, I think you just got to not worry about that and move on, control the things you can control and try and have a better mindset about magic. I think a lot of people have some toxic mindsets when it comes to magic. And I think I'd personally promote people to like not salt and chat. For example, I, my typical thing is if I know someone who's a moto salter is I tell them, write it in a notepad. If you want to send it to them in five minutes, go ahead, but you're not going to want to send it to them in five minutes. Sometimes yeah. we got to chill up, but I do agree. Sometimes you do have to just let it out. And unlike paper magic tournaments where you can go up to your friends, tell a little bad beat story and then go, wow, that really sucks. And then you move on. You you can't do that on moto. So I, I can sort of understand what you're saying, but I still think just don't do it. Yeah. Like, it's funny you mentioned it because I'm not a fan of bad beat stories in paper. That honestly, like it honestly gets to, it honestly gets to me more than moto salt does because like, I mean, yes, this person, like, on the one hand, this person's my friend, so that's not that bad. On the other hand, like, I might have just had a match that was frustrating myself. So I want to be able to, like, turn that energy off if, if that's what I need for my turn. Yeah, I have a personality that's super susceptible to people being negative. If other people are being negative around me, I'm going to start feeling crappy. So it's it's actually a toxic trait of mine. But if people are bringing up a lot of negativity, I'm really combative with them. I'll, I'll tell them why it's not unlucky or how they could have done something better instead. But that's not what they need. It's just like a way to try and help myself, which is in itself sort of selfish. It's just a toxic trait of mine. I've always had it. I'm super susceptible to negativity. So I'm overtly positive when faced with other people's negativity, which is not really healthy sometimes for other people. Yeah, that's definitely something I do as well. I agree. It's definitely not one of my best qualities. Um, and yeah, I think that there's there's like there's a balance between like doing what you need to do for yourself and doing what other people that you care about need to do for, need to do for them. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. It's an interesting perspective. I liked how you at least mentioned that sometimes you accept that the people who salt off a motor they just have to do it. So I know. Um, You've played the most recent, is it two Pro Tours, you said? Yeah. On Moto? And have you've played a paper Pro Tour, have you? Yeah. Well, like, the, like, um, the Players Tour. So, uh, well, I like to count the like Everything's a Pro Tour. Everything's yeah. a Pro Tour. <laughs> yeah. Face opens, like... Well, maybe not a face open. I, everything, like, the Players Tour, the Mythic Championship, the Pro Tour, they're all Pro Tours to me, or the Set Championships. They're all pro tours. Obvious. Like to me, it's obvious. But so so you've played in two online pro tours and how many paper pro tours? Just the one. Just the one. And which one was that? It was uh Nagoya. Nagoya, oh my god. That must have been cool. Yeah, I did horribly. Uh, <laughs> I didn't win a match. So that was yeah, that that was kind of my wake up call of like you're not as good at magic as you think. And I'm not, I definitely, I'm not saying that to be like, 
I guess I was too negative for myself. Um, but at the same time, I think that like sometimes you have to have like people telling you you've got to work harder, be better if you want to be better. Um, I think that's like like I, I had a pretty similar conversation like with a couple pro friends of mine recently that that pretty much went exactly like that. Like I was just like frustrated about some like paper or speed that's gone badly and that's basically what they told me like you've got to work harder or like you gotta work smarter. Um because work I mean working smarter I think is a big part of it too. Um like my first the players tour I like prepared alone. I think I played like ten matches of draft in total. Um and obviously didn't win a match in draft. Uh and I ended up with like a horrible constructed deck. So um, that was kind of like part of my motivation to when I requalified almost two years later to vouch for myself as much as I could so that I could get on the best team that I could. And that turned out being to be an awesome experience on um, like, I mean, we had like not an amazing tournament, uh, at Neon Dynasty, but then Yucapena, we had four of the top eight, eight of the top 16, which is, like, crazy that, I mean, like, I played, like, I was, aside from Alan Wu, who wasn't playing the event, I was probably the person doing the most work on the Esper deck that Simon Nielsen and Zach Heaney top eight of And, I mean, I think they probably had better lists than me, like, they're better players than me, so I don't want to take credit for their success too much, but I, it's like, I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, just advocate for yourself as much as possible. Like, talk to good players and just do, like, do the work in your free time to, like, be good enough that you can have conversation with them and have reasonable takes on things. Um, yeah. Especially things that are relevant to competitive play. Like, I, I think that um, something that really benefits me is that I spend most of my time playing, like, standard pioneer modern just like formats that are pretty relevant to competitive tournaments um and i think like part of the reason like legacy or vintage players often have a tough time transitioning to um the like transitioning to the pro scene with like these other formats is I mean, first of all, because they're not playing these formats regularly, maybe they don't even care about them that much. But also, you're not like when you have these conversations with players who are playing these formats competitively, it's just on the level of like, I have this one this one off tournament coming up. What deck do, what deck should I play? Um, it doesn't go into this like deeper level of strategy. Uh, and yeah, like they don't have the experience of like what the low lower power level formats are how interactions happen, how like the sequencing of the early turns matters a lot. And you may see a card and be like, this card is obviously powerful. And sometimes you have to explain, yes, it's obviously powerful, but it doesn't actually play out very well because these are the spots that are good. It's good in, and you want to be doing other stuff in those spots that is good in, or maybe it's vice versa. And the, but no, you're right. I think a lot of the times, uh, like legacy and vintage players have a tough time coming over as any format specialist, I think is going to have a tough time playing out of format 
And I think if you're a competitive player, it's important to not be a format specialist. Like you can focus on a format and get really good at that format and be an expert on that and a great value to your team. But if you want to add a value to your team and it's not the format, you're kind of out of luck there. And I think you just got to put the work in. Like you've said many times, I think that's one thing a lot of people don't think about or talk about as much when people are doing the results. They see the results and they're like, wow, this player was good the whole time. No, they weren't good the whole time. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of results. And so you have to be willing to be wrong so many times in order for you to start getting stuff right. And that's what I would say personally, one of my biggest leaps is just accepting that other people's ideas that are presented to me, if I think they're bad, I'm going to still explore them because maybe I'm wrong. And honestly, lately, I feel like it's played out that way where someone says something like, this is how I sideboard in this matchup. And I'll say something along the lines of, that's completely unintuitive to me. That's not what I would do. I'm going to try it. And an example of that is in Pioneer, boarding out your Phoenixes against Mono Green. Someone said to do that, and I said, that sounds really dumb. That's how you kill them. And I started doing it, and I, I'm genuinely like 15-0 and 0 against Mono Green with Izzet Phoenix by just boarding out my Phoenixes so I can no longer get Karn minus. Like Karn is not a good card against me anymore because it doesn't really matter if it resolves, I'll likely kill it with one of my two drops and then move on with the game and just only counter the threats that matter, the the Cavaliers and the Storm the Festivals. And it's that kind of teamwork and work that matters a lot. And thankfully, I'm lucky enough and so are you to be a part of, I think, well, I don't know all the other Magic Discords, but the, the Boomer vs. Zoomer Magic Discord has been absolutely massive for me just like a massive quality of life improvement for magic. Cause some of my friends have moved away from competitive magic. So I was sort of just always doing everything myself, but now I have this massive resource of a lot of people I really like and really enjoy talking to or spending time with to help me get better and I can help them as well. And it's just been such an incredible online resource. Yeah. And that, I mean, I've been like, in that Discord, sort of on and off, pretty much since it was started. Um, I, I've known that. I mean, I'm like a little older than most of the Zoomers. I'm 22, and most of them are like 18, 19, 20, 16, 17, kind of in that range. Um, but uh, my friend Bayana and I both qualified for the like Pioneer Showcase qualifier, and I didn't have, or I wanted to work with him, and he was like, hey, can we add Felix to this smaller Discord with just a few of these people? Um, and so I was kind of, um, that's how I got to know the Zoomers, and then I was kind of around for like um, the founding of like the Boomer Zoomer Discord, like Henry Goldenstein, Isaac Bullwinkle, Andre Klepach. Uh, Levi Sprung, Julian Jakovitz. Uh, I think we're like some of the original people in there. Like Johnny Gavin was in there pretty early. Uh, Jack Potter, Andrew Barbosa, some of like the Canadian players um, who were like from like my generation of Magic, I guess, who were uh, a lot of them were like kind of in that group pretty early. Uh, 
but yeah, it's it's been like it's grown into like way beyond anything I ever expected it would. It's been kind of awesome. Um, just having like having a place where it's like yeah, you know, you can like add whoever and they can like you know make connections, maybe find like a smaller testing team or maybe like just talk about whatever format. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been like, I wish that, yeah, I mean, I wish that when I was like, when I was a teenager, I'd had like a place that was that like supportive, that was like competitive focus. I think that a lot of, I think that a lot of like, a lot of discords um, are like, a lot of the discords that are like trying to be competitive focused are open membership. And it obviously like, it sucks that open membership discords don't work because if anyone who like, anyone who wanted to put in the effort and like, uh, and just like reach out to better players, learn how to get better, just have an avenue to do that, that would be awesome. The problem is if someone just like wants a deck list that's gonna contribute just insane or bad opinions, then it's like you're not really contributing to, you're not really contributing anything. They're like just kind of adding noise to the server and talking about these things that like like it's i mean having some i mean I, I think that like being a very quiet person kind of played to my advantage when i first got into this competency because i don't talk very much so i couldn't say too much dumb stuff hmm. and when when you're like like when a group of players are trying to solve a problem if someone says something wrong because they're not very good like I wish it, I wish that it didn't work this way, but like that kind of derails the conversation because then you have these two options and like one of them is probably wrong, but it's like, it's like conflicting with everyone else's perspective. And so you have to like sort that out. Um, yeah, I get what you mean. There's sometimes when it's open membership, there's a lot of noise and when it's closed, like uh, the boomer resumer is, it sort of takes like a commitment from everyone in a sense to like help each other. Everyone knows sort of the rules of engagement. You, you don't really see people in there just asking for a deck list and never contributing or never at least generating discussion that I can see. I can't think of anyone who does that. And I think it being closed is what sort of does that. And if it's an open discord, I think what will end up happening is the more serious players or the more competitive players will move all of the focus stuff somewhere else. And that yeah. doesn't, that kind of takes away the whole benefit of having the discord in the first place. Yeah. And I think we found a, we found a pretty happy medium for that. where like, it is a closed discord, but if someone, ha if someone who's in the discord has like a friend who they think is going to be a good fit for, for the discord, they're either like a good player or they're like a player who has like been in competitive for a while, is trying to get better or who like wants to get into competitive magic. Uh, just as, as long as they're like, as long as they want to be like at some sort of high level, uh, whether that's like 
being a really good moto grinder or just winning all their local tournaments, um, then I would say they're going to shift to the Discord. So, but yeah, I think that's that's sort of. I feel like we've sort of like kind of inadvertently accomplished what I wanted to get out of some of the open servers I've been in, which I'm pretty proud of whatever part I played in that. And you should be, to be honest. You should be, for sure. I sort of just joined it last year and was so pleasantly surprised with how awesome it was. Yeah, I was super stoked uh, to, to get invited or get asked to join. It was it was awesome, and it was one of those moments of validation, which feels good. People love to be validated, and I'm one of them. I'll say it. So I know you've taken some breaks from Magic. Uh why don't you talk about some of the reasonings you had for those? Was it all just timing related? Were you having a toxic relationship with magic? And do you feel like they were beneficial to you? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, it, I feel like they were beneficial. Yeah. I, um, I think it was just like, I was kind of putting a ton of pressure on myself to win, but not putting as much pressure to myself on myself to get better. And yeah, that, that did kind of lead to a toxic relationship where it was like, I, I had these expectations of myself, but I wasn't setting myself up to meet them. Um, and yeah, I feel that, that I think we might've stopped playing at around the exact same time, right? When COVID started, there was a lot of super PTQs. I remember we worked on a lot of decks together or the one deck together quite a bit during that. And I, I recall I top aided quite a few of the supers and finished in top four of two of them. And I just remember still feeling pissed off that I wasn't winning. And even though I wasn't putting in the work to get any better, I just decided that if I can't be happy with some obvious success, even though it didn't like uh, lead to my goals in Magic, which was qualified for Pro Tour at the time, I needed to take a step back just for my happiness. And I think it was super beneficial to me. And when I came back to magic, it was like, I was a kid again. I was so excited to play and so excited to learn everything again. And just so eager to get better again. It was nice to start over in a sense. Like I was certainly worse when I came back than when I left, but it was nice to be humbled by the fact that I know I was making some really bad plays and still, sometimes I catch myself doing stuff that I find just embarrassing. And I think it's important to let yourself make mistakes, learn from them. And I personally just don't beat myself up about it anymore. I just make note and I move on. Because one of my goals in Magic is to maintain a positive relationship with it. Because I don't want to ever feel like the way I felt then again, even though I was putting up very good results and not feeling good. I just don't ever want that to happen again. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think that like, yeah, I, I think what you said about not beating yourself up over your mistakes is really important. Like, I, I mean, that's something that I've done for a long time that I still do sometimes. And I think that the thing that's important to recognize is like finding all the things that you're doing wrong just takes time and effort. And so if you're seeing yourself make a mistake, then that's not like, I mean, it is a bad thing in one sense, because like 
your results are going to be worse because you made like because you made the mistake. But in the long term, it's a good thing because the more mistakes you'll see and the more ways you figure out to not make those mistakes again, the better you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. If you leave a tournament and you went five and two and you feel like there's nothing you could have done, that's not a good thing. But if you leave a tournament and you went four and three or five and two and you remember, I cost myself a match here for sure. I could have done this differently. Maybe it plays out right. I'm not sure if it was correct. I'm going to think about it more. That's how you get better. If you leave a tournament that you did pretty well at, but you just don't leave it with anything, you're not taking anything with you, you're not going to get any better. Yeah, and I definitely, I definitely think you can go too far. Like, um, you can't, like, if you're saying, like, because you have to think through something and, th- and actually think about, like, whether or not it was this game. Um, because sometimes you're going to make the right play, and it's just not going to work out because of variance. And if you're thinking, like, oh, well, I could have taken this different line where it would have worked out, so I must have been a mistake, then maybe you were right the first time. So sometimes when it, like, especially when I'm not too sure, I try to like, I try to double back and be like, well, what have, like, what was my reasoning originally? And what's my new reasoning? Which one do I think is better now? Um, and if I think that my original reasoning was good, then I'll be like, oh, I actually didn't make a mistake. Um, or like maybe, but yeah, I, I have a very, I have a very broad definition of what a mistake is, though, and I think that's it's not necessarily the healthiest thing, um, to some extent, because it does take like, it does take a toll. Like, like you can only tell yourself you're messing up so many times, and without just not enjoying the game, um, uh, unless you're walking a fine line between like being aware of your mistakes and not being like way too critical of yourself. But yeah, like, I mean, I think like if I, like if I'm paying attention to the wrong things in game, I think that is a mistake because I could be doing something better. Um, so like, like, let's say that I like, if I'm a moto, like, um, usually I try to like rearrange the, rearrange the lance that falls on my hands. Uh, so that like the swells are on one side, the lens on the other, so I can process it visually more easily. And if I'm not doing that, I consider that a mistake. It's just like there are obviously the decision points you're making on in-game decisions, but there are so many more decision points like deck building, mulligan, sideboarding, uh, just like outside, just outside of game stuff, like even like drinking water or eating food. Like these are all things that to some extent are affecting whether or not you're going to be. And I, I think that like it's a bit daunting to some extent because there it's like it's hard to know what all of these are, let alone to get all of them right. But it's also like I, I think it's a view of a game that makes me feel like, you know, I, I can have like Apollo Vitrodomino Rosa or LSV or the C level career. Like that's where I want to be eventually. And I feel like I have the work ethic together. I have like I can confidently say I'm one of the hardest working players in the world. Like I played over 500 matches in testing between the last two championships and spent like many more hours working on deck building and theory. I 
play a ton of Magic Online, but I think that where it remains to be seen if I'm going to be that good, by which I mean, like, realistically, it's kind of insane to think that I would, even, even if it takes that little self-confidence, is confidence, first of all. Like, I don't think I'm as confident in, like, my ability sometimes as I would like to be. Um, working on the right things is another big thing. And just, like, Yeah, I, I really say I really say those are the two things. Like, I sometimes lose confidence in myself, and I get sidetracked too much. Um, and like, I mean, not just the players I listed, but really a lot of a lot of like a lot of players on like at that level are going to get drilled by that stuff. I have, I mean, I have like there's someone who I'm not going to name because like I don't. Kind of a sensitive thing, but probably struggles with those issues and is like an extremely talented player. But when he's having an off day, can go like one in six or two in five. And it's like, like that's the kind of difference that just getting down on yourself or getting frustrated can make. You just like, I, I yesterday I was playing, I think, like, Blue Eye Control and Pioneer. I've been playing that a lot recently. Um, just think like it's a good deck and uh, people are making their decisions right now in ways that play into it to some extent. Um, like playing a lot of the like red black mid-range deck that just like puts stuff in play. Um, but anyway, I was playing that deck and I realized at some point but I kept losing. I was like I, I don't know, I think I went like one in four in a week and I realized I was just playing way, way too conservative. Like I, I like my opponent would play a spell, and I'd be like, and my first thought would be like, well, they could have this other spell that blows me off if I try to react to it, so I'm just not going to react. And it fully didn't cross my mind until I was until I was done with the league that I was wasting my mana, which is like a fundamental thing about magic. You don't want to waste your mana, and it's like it's a huge deal, but it's like it just like what just something wasn't clicking for me and I wasn't thinking about that. And so I, I think they're like Yeah, I mean competitive magic is hard. It's, it's it is so hard. Yeah. And what you're describing about being too conservative is absolutely without a doubt my biggest flaw in magic. Is I will miss a lot of damage playing conservatively and I think it just stems from this type of decks I've played, like control decks or these egg, uh, like mid range decks that go over the top anyway, so it doesn't usually matter, or these like combo ish decks. So it doesn't really matter when you miss the damage because you usually just overwhelm them with cards or kill them anyway. And I think that's just what you described is something that I deal with all the time with like not attacking. Like Ice Fang Coatl, I'm not sure I've ever attacked with Ice Fang Coatl. They could have two Ragavans, they could have Ragavan Bolt, and I'll just never attack. And that kind of stuff, it, it's tough to, to walk the line, and it's even harder to find when it really matters when you mess that up. Yeah, I, I think, like, yeah, I mean, I, in an ideal world, I think we would all know, like, every decision we have to make in, like, in a game, we would have a clear idea of what our options are, 
and which one is going to work out better for us or is going like is going to in aggregate have a better outcome for us based on like all the different types of variables um and unfortunately that's not true so like in with the ice like with the ice cream quarrel thing i'll just use an example because i've done like i've done similar, i i do similar things to that sometimes we're all just like be at 27, my opponent will be at 18, I'll be like, eh, I probably have inevitability. And so I just won't attack with a creature when I should when I should at least be considering whether I should be attacking. Um but yeah, like I, I think that like yeah, I, I think that's a big part of magic is just like having a clear idea of why you're doing everything you're doing. And I can sometimes get too focused on that. Like I after after Beyond Dynasty, I I went nine and six, which is good, but I felt like I got very lucky, and I I didn't feel like my like like my like like my base of theory was good enough for me to do much better than that the next time. So I like I like took a week off after the championship, and then I just started working on like reading books about game theory and figuring out like uh, how to like memorize deck lists better and how to process your game information better. And so that's a lot of what I've been doing for the past like five months now. And it's, uh, I think I've mostly got it. I think I've mostly got it to a good place, but the biggest thing I've learned is like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel because um, like I'll watch, I was watching this East stream a couple of days ago and, um, like the theory work I, I've, I've been doing, it helped, like, it helped me understand why he was asking the questions he was asking. Like, do, you know, um, does my opponent, um, stuff beyond like, does my opponent have his card in hand was like, what specifically is going to happen if, like, if I draw this card, and what's my percentage of drawing this card? Um, like, figuring out like what matters when, um, in terms of what lands your opponent plays or has in play. Um, just and so, so like I knew why he was focusing on the little things he was focusing on and asking the questions he was asking, but the theory work wouldn't have helped me come up with those questions myself, and. I think that if you like, um, and like, like right now on a whiteboard over there, I have these questions written out that Austin Versavage asked himself on um, like during games, like how do I win? How do they lose? What's in their head? Uh, how can I make them waste mana or make things awkward on them? And how do I lose? And so I think that like just asking yourself. Yeah, I think just asking yourself those questions over and over is like, it's a tried and true method and it's really hard to just process all the information with our little monkey brains if we're getting more into the theory than that. Um, like I've done a ton of work on, in, like having done a ton of work on theory, I was reading this book um, a couple days ago about the New England Patriots and uh, their coach Bill Belichick, um, something that really struck me from that was seeing that he, like, he's like widely regarded as the greatest football coach of all time. 
but instead of holding like a large play sheet um, on the sideline, he just holds a tiny note card. And the reason for that is he doesn't want his players to have to memorize a ton of plays he, because he doesn't want them to have, he doesn't want them to have to think on the field. He just wants them to be able to react. And the easier he makes that for them, the simpler his and the simpler his defense is, the better they're able to react to what the opponent's offense is doing. Um, so I, I think there's kind of a similar concept in what, as of right now, I believe is the right way to approach magic. And what I think a lot of people believe is the right way to approach magic. Um, in that, like, yeah, j just like keep asking yourself these questions. Don't make it too hard in your brain, but also make sure you're like giving yourself as much, giving yourself input on the questions that, and the decisions that matter. Like yeah, whether, whether this, yeah, whether those are the most important ones or even just a decision that matters a little bit, like whether you should play, I don't know, Spireball, Canal, or Fetchland. Um, yeah, one of the things that I'm taking away from a lot of what you're saying this whole podcast so far is to consider everything, but sort of, sort of in moderation because you can't waste all of your time. You can't beat yourself up too much over things, but you should be giving yourself a better opportunity to win. So you'd need to correct those things that you would beat yourself up over. And it's a lot of that sort of same concept over and over again of, do you want to be great? How hard do you want to work at it? But you still have to have a good time. Yeah. And I don't like, and I think as long as you're happy, there's no wrong answer. Like I, yesterday I spent most of the day, like watching, like, like watching magic videos, just like trying to do theory work. And um, then I had a friend over for dinner and yeah, we, we just talked about like sports and like the TV shows we watched as kids, um, things like that for a few hours. And he was like, hey, you should watch the show Letterkenny. And then today I spent the entire day binge watching the first season of Letterkenny. And so, but it's funny because yesterday after spending a whole day on magic, I was like struggling, I was struggling to kind of like make my brain function. I just wasn't super happy and I couldn't like think through the answers to some question I was trying to solve. And somewhere in my subconscious, as I was like messing around and just not doing anything related to magic, just doing things that make me happy, it kind of clicked. And I was like, oh, that's, that makes a lot of sense now. So yeah, I, I definitely think that like, I mean, so I, I definitely feel like doing things that make yourself happy other than magic is important to succeeding in magic. Um, but it's also just important as a person, like life is bigger than magic and, or, I mean, and if it's not, then you've got this entire world in front of you. Why isn't it bigger than magic? So. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Honestly, Felix, you, you have so many great insights. I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast talk so much about really important theory and really important mental energy and stuff like that. Honestly, there's a lot that people could learn from the stuff that you've given. I really appreciate it. Yeah, what I, I mean, want to talk about to start wrapping stuff up is the regional championship. So you have yeah. one qualification. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And how did you earn that? I got second place in the Bits Bits Open in Charlottetown. 
Okay. And so do you plan on doing a lot of traveling for these face opens? Do you really enjoy them? Is that sort of your thing or do you just like kind of traveling? Um, I do like traveling. I don't think I'll do too much traveling, but I am going to zone in Halifax in a few weeks or I guess not even a few weeks now, it's like a week and a half. Um, but yeah, I've like, I mean, having lived in Canada for a total of six months at this point, I haven't really seen much outside of like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. So, uh, going out to PEI, seeing what that's like and like, meeting some people from the community there. That was awesome. Um, I had a ton of fun. It was like, like even before I made top eight, it's like one of the most fun tournaments I've ever played. So, um, I, yeah, I think at the time I was kind of planning for it to be like a one-off trip, but I might do that a little more, just go out to like, um, places I've never been, like, um, never been to like Alberta or Saskatchewan or, um, Manitoba. That's the other one that's in there somewhere. Um, or, yeah, maybe, maybe you need to work a little more on the geography for a but uh <laughs> that's okay you can go to calgary when you get your second qualification uh, would will you go if you do get it yes i will okay i think yeah 100%. i think you have a pretty good shot if you're going to charlottetown there's another toronto face open and that doesn't even include if you're playing any rcqs what, what do you think of the whole canadian qualifying situation do you think it's pretty awesome that we have just a bunch of these open events that have lots of qualifications so you can sort of skip the RCQ scene if that's not what you're jiving with? Yeah, 100%. Like, I I mean, I think that, like, first of all, um, I think that these, like, I feel like if you, I really like systems where if you win the tournament where you're trying hard, you go directly to the tournament. And so I didn't really like the PVTU system. And so having this, like, okay, well, I can just, like, play a bunch of face opens, and it obviously isn't going to be true for everyone, but for someone like me who's, like, played Magic for 11 years, spends an enormous amount of time on it, like, maybe I'm going to scrub some, but if I just play a bunch over the course of the season, I'm probably going to get two invites, realistically. Um, yeah, that, I agree. Yeah, like, and then having, like, the, having the regional championships be, like, the level of tournament where, okay, I actually have to like work really hard to do all of this. I still might not do all of this, but if I do well, I get to the for I think that's an awesome system. And I can't say I'm a fan of some of the other regions systems. As, um, the one of the US seems pretty decent, but like, um, I've heard not great reviews of Europe, for instance. Yeah, Europe, um, Europe is down bad. Yeah. I've heard some terrible things about the tournament organizer and just the distribution of invites compared to population, popularity in the region, and just who gets these to host these events just seems pretty unfair. My hope is that Watsi will realize that and maybe implore them to do it a little differently or a little more fairly or give it to someone else. Yeah, I Definitely hope so. And, you know, I obviously, like, I'm hoping whoever they decide is the best, is the best organizer, that it, it's just, like, they're, they're having some cases, they're working things out, maybe couldn't find too many, like, too many organizers for 
too many like stores that were comfortable with in other regions. Um, that's not a situation I'm super aware of, even though I lived in Europe a few months ago. So I'm not going to like, and I don't want to like go on it too much. But um, as far as like, yeah, as far as our situation in Canada, I think that we probably have the best system in the world out of the regions that I'm like regularly in contact with people from. Like, I don't really talk to Japanese players very much. I'm like acquainted with some of them. I like some of them, but they mostly have like their own community that's largely separate from the Western one. Um, yeah, I think basically, I, I agree. I think Canada does have the best system. The only qualm you could potentially say is that the American regional championship is pretty close to a pro tour in a lot of ways. Like the first place prize is $40,000 is it not, or $20,000. Is it? Holy yes. Yeah. It's a massive, massive cash tournament with top 48 going to the pro tour and Canada first place is 2000 with top eight going to the pro tour. But if I recall, Americans dream hack is 20,000 for first. Yeah, yeah, so definitely it's like... pretty close to a pro tour. Hmm. So you can yeah. argue that that system might be better in some ways, but if the goal is ultimately the pro tour, I think Canada has it pretty well. And the fact that we don't have to grind uh, RCQs if you don't want to, you can just play these 5Ks that you were going to play anyway and get your qualifications that way. I think it's the best, for sure. Yeah, I think like whether... Yeah, I mean... Like 20k or not, I think I'm probably going to come out um, of like I'm going from I'm probably going to come out of the season having enjoyed my few months in this system more than I would have enjoyed it if I still lived in the US. Yeah, RCQs can sometimes promote some. It's just when it doesn't get you right to the pro tour, if if creates these weird incentives where you want to try really hard but you don't want to try incredibly hard, and then you have these like mixed results because of that. And sometimes the tournament organizers aren't the best, the stores aren't the best, or there's some weird things going on. And sometimes it's just it just doesn't feel great. But I've personally I've played a few RCQs. I had a really good time at all of them in my area. And there's some some uh, what do you call it uh, drama out there on whether you should keep playing if you're already qualified, and maybe that'll get solved eventually. But yeah. uh, I would love for invites to just pass down because I don't think you want to limit people from being able to play, but also I acknowledge the differing incentives can create a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, hashtag shrink the game, like shrink the honestly. game. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I mean, I, I do think like if you're, um, if you're not able to qualify because you're not able to beat players who are already qualified. Like, there were some questions about whether the system should allow them to do that, but I also don't think it's, like, that player. I also think, like, there are upsides to the system being that way, like, because these, like, these local tournaments are the main way to play these league events paper packs. And so I, I think that if this was how the system had always been, like, if we had always been allowed to play and like the RCQs after qualifying twice, then if it, if it changed the other way, it would be like, well, why do we, why did we make this change? Because 
now once you qualify, you get punished for it. You can't play fence anymore. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple reasons why you should let people play. Like an example is, let's say my area is not filled with the most competitive magic players. For me, a competitive magic player, the only events that are really for me are these RCQs. All the local events and the local like $5 buy-in tournaments, they're not really for me. They're for the casual players. And so I sort of steer clear, or if I go, I just go to have a good time. And I don't really try and be spiky or, or whatever about it. But these are the events that are for me. And so you're telling me I win one and I'm just locked out. And then if you want to grow the competitive community, which I think the RCQs are geared towards the competitive players, you're locking out the best players in your region from playing with the other players that's going to help grow them as players or give them an incentive to participate in their local community. Yeah, I mean, I, I think absolutely, like, um, just having, like, yeah, having people around who, like, have played against better players are going to, like, just tell them you like what's good what just like me just make like random comments while you're playing or like in you know when you're hanging out between rounds that might help you learn something about the game that's like i think there, there is a good amount of value in that um not 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 in any individual comments but like like me hanging out at some random local store for one event is it going to help that much first of all because i'm not that good second of all i might say like one thing over the course of the day that might help one person but when you have like a whole system that kind of that kind of encourages this and every rcq you have like a few good players who might who may not otherwise be there it kind of adds up yeah i agree and also i think there's a real issue of attendance like you'll all the stores would rush to have their events at the beginning of the season because there'll be a bigger pool of players who can play. So, for example, some in my area, 10 players, 16 players, 25 players. If you shrink that pool by five, some one, that one event doesn't fire, first of all. And the rest, it, really, it kind of hurts the, the tournament experience. But I I do think the, the issue of the mixed incentives and scooping to your friends any rounds does create some bad feelings. I, I agree with that but I just don't know if it is worth the cost and I'm not entirely, I don't think it's in it in itself is not ethical or anything like that. I think it can create some situations that are feel bads for players. And I personally wouldn't want to do that. But at the same time, I personally, for example, I did play them while I was qualified. I had to weigh the fact that I know some local players were not happy that I was playing. They were vocal about not being happy that I was playing, but my friend is in the event and I want them to qualify. And I sort of have to weigh it for myself, what I think matters more to me. And if I'm allowed to do it, or if you're allowed to do it in that system, I think, I think it's hard to put the burden on the person if it's within the rules. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I do think like, yeah. And I do think there's some argument where it's like, well, the rules aren't like making these events the way I want them. So maybe like some sort of like some sort of like social, not pressure, but like encouragement might help with that. Like, like seeing like, hey, you know, you're like doing the equivalent of like coming to our $5 Tuesday monitor event with boggles, maybe like 
here's this other vanity go go there next time which is like i mean that that's an antidote from when i was like when i first moved to paris and i didn't know like the different events that could happen at different times um that i, I showed up to a local event models and i literally got told like is all this store has a more competitive event on this different day next time you should go there instead oh damn <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> That's funny. It was like, yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, that's sort of everything I wanted to, to ask you about. I'm really happy with all the information you sort of gave the listeners and me, honestly. I think you're an incredible player. You have such a great mind for the game. It's so obvious that you're going to be incredibly successful or at least as successful as you want to be because you have all the tools. You're really smart. And you have the work ethic, like you said. I think it's impossible for you to to not reach the goals that you want, as long as you're willing to keep working at it, or if it's still worth it to you. I appreciate it, and I wish that more people growing up had told me that I'll be as successful as I want to be. Like, um, I think like, I mean, I, I think a lot of like, I mean, I like probably imagine a lot of other people have been told like, was told like you're wasting your potential or you you like you need to work harder um and i wish i'd heard like that encouragement that i can work harder without the like negative aspect more often yeah like you need to work harder or you're going to fail no it's you're gonna you need to work harder if you would like to accomplish more if you're happy with where you're at that's okay yeah and that yeah that's the thing that's missing like ultimately you're the one who has control over what you do with your life, what your legacy is. And like, and for me, like, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell myself, like, I want to be remembered as this great player, but the question is, do I want to put in the work to get there? And that's what I'm going to find out next few years. Yeah. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And that's, that's okay. <laughs> yep. Well, before we go, I did just want to plug our sponsor, uh, face-to-facegames.com. They're having a massive sale all August. The sale changes every couple of days. It's definitely worth checking it out because if your thing that you're looking for is not on sale currently, it certainly might end up being on sale. And sometimes the sales are like up to 70%, which is massive if you find the thing you're looking for, even like 30% off. If you're going to buy it anyway, you should take a look. And once again, the next RCQ seasons, some of them are getting announced. If you're looking, I'm not sure if the, the window's closed for next RCQ season, but if you're a competitive player looking for your scene to get more competitive, speak to your local store about going to the face-to-face -face games website, signing up for these RCQs. If you're like, if, if that's what you want to see your stores do, just talk to your stores. And if you're a store, sign up for these RCQs. Players, players like them. And, uh, there's good promos face-to-face -face is uh, really open with communication about working on it. Like if you don't want a, a four event one, you don't want a one seat one. I'm pretty sure you could work out a, a different situation if you want to do a two seat one or something like that. They're pretty open when it comes to communicating stuff like that. So if you want to be more competitive, that's the best way to do it. Uh, once again, Felix, thank you so much for the, for the conversation. I think this is without a doubt the most, like level up -y, most useful episode of the, the cast so far. Usually it, uh, people talking a lot about themselves and uh, sort of their story with magic, but 
as it uh, so happens, your story with magic is built on a lot of improvement and self-reflection. And you brought a lot of that to the podcast. And I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Indy, always great talking to you. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I hope that what I said was helpful and not, you know, too harsh. I don't want to like make, I don't want to make someone go like, wow, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not like doing enough. I should feel bad at myself. Like that's, <laughs> that's not, yeah. Like, I mean, I hope that's like, I hope that's not the takeaway from this. It's just like, you know, it takes, um, yeah, like it takes a lot to be a good player and whether you want to do that or not, just do what's best for you. Um, and I, I hope that I like, I, I hope that I provide some insights, some insights on like not just working hard, but working smart, kind of like the things that I've been trying to figure out this, the past few months. Um, yeah, you got to do, if you want to improve, you got to put the work in, take the time, but you got to be happy. And I think sometimes you got to make sacrifices in other things just to make yourself happy and don't let yourself, uh, don't beat yourself up too much. But uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and thanks a lot, Felix. Thanks, Andy.